Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. Amen. So, so uh, man, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Prepare, preparing for, for these teachings have been really hard. You know, first it's like, oh, it's the Ten Commandments. Let's, let's just kind of fly through it and not, not a big deal or anything like that. But mm-hmm. as we, we dive into it and see the the power behind those things i mean god spoke spoke these words uh to the israelites um it, it's just really amazing and every every week it's been such a challenge for us because there's so much in in those words that god shared with the people of israel and uh, as we prepare there's something that we were reading a book as we were preparing for today's teaching we were reading this uh, great book and there was a, such a great reminder because when we when we look at we people like to say that God changed from Old Testament to New Testament, you know, mostly the New Testament is all about grace, you know, salvation given freely and everything else. And we look we look at Exodus and he's like, here's ten ten commandments and here's another laws and there's six hundred and thirteen laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and we're like, man, if they had it rough, <laughs> they had to follow all these rules. And the the author pointed out something really beautiful. That reminds us that God never changes. She she reminded that they were saved from slavery and mm-hmm. brought out of Egypt and pro- were provided through the desert up to the Mount Sinai before the law was given. So it's not like he wasn't like, all right, if you guys follow these commandments, then I'll take you out of your slavery. That's when I'm going to give you grace and mercy. That's when I'm going to save you. He said, no, he's like. I'm going to save you because I'm a loving God. I have grace and I have mercy. I have promised to your father Abraham that you will be in this nation, right? But in response to what I have done, now this is how you're expected to live and to change. Yeah. And, Sanctification. Yeah, absolutely, right? So it's, it's just one of those things where we see the same way. Jesus died on a cross for us before, while we were still sinners. And out of... The flow of being thankful for what he has done to us, then we start following his his fruit of the spirit of having love, joy, and peace, and kindness and goodness. That's when we do things, when we serve others and love our neighbor and love God and honor him. We do that because he loved us first, right? We've talked about that before. So what what God did to the Israeli people in Egypt and brought them out of Egypt is the same thing that God did again mm-hmm. on the cross. So it was just such a beautiful reminder that I was I was just in awe. Like we were we were driving and li- and actually listening to to her speak, and I was like, wow, yeah, that it was just so powerful. And normally we use many sources to prepare for the sermon, but I just we were really impacted uh, by this podcast that was brought by the Bible Project. They interviewed a woman named Karen uh, Carmen Joy Imes. So if you're interested in listening to it, it directly talks about. The commandment that we're studying today and we want to give credit where credit is due because it's very mm-hmm. impactful uh and carmen joy imes also wrote a book called bearing god's name and mm-hmm. that uh, we read that and that also influenced a lot of what we were able to take away about the the topic that we're teaching today so i just want to make sure that you guys have that resource if anyone is interested uh and i can if you forget or don't write it down i can tell you again afterwards so that you can get those resources if you want yeah, but it was just so so powerful. Before I wanted to even to move on into into this next uh, uh, commandment, I just wanted to to just kind of pause and remind us that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That He loves us. That grace and mercy is, is so abundant in, in that place. Um, and we're gonna keep on seeing how, just like in all our teachings, the everything works on top of the other. So the first time we we we, lo- we learned about the first commandment, you shall not have no other gods before me. And we talked about then, yes, last week we talked about not having any idols or grave images, and we really dove a lot into that and everything else. And then today we're going to talk about about um, taking the name, uh, God's name in vain. So th- this is going to be a great t- great teaching of the that, man, we, we sat down and we're like, all right, we got too many verses. <laughs> we need to slow down. But God speaks about this. Uh, the word of God speaks about this extensively. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, we we want to just kind of go through that. So we want first we want to read it, and we want to read it actually in uh, King James version. So if you can, nice and loud. It's been through my Bible. Been through. So it's Exodus twenty, verse seven. Nice and loud. Use All that right. voice of yours. All right, Exodus 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Amen. Thank you. The word of the Lord is already blessed. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You want me to no, so we're going to, there's a lot, a lot there. People use this, this scripture and everything else of, and make this powerful statement very small. Of just yes. not very. I don't want to say very small. It's very not narrow. very very narrow. Thank you. Very narrow. Where just just don't say God or Jesus in an angry way. Mm-hmm. Don't and, use his name as a curse word. Yeah, like and and, and that's and that's it. All right. So he's like, I am your God. You shall not have any images of me. And please don't curse. You know, it's it's. I feel like there's there's just so much power and and yeah, and we and we kind of. Minimize. Minimize this. See those words. We, I got you. Thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> Say, play it down. Yeah. <laughs> and it, that's a very narrow focus. And there is, there is obviously a conviction that we believe, and there's other texts through Scripture that would affirm that we should not trivially use the name of God. That God's name should be honored and lifted up, and not something that's used to curse anyone or used in a again in a in a light fashion where we should take it seriously. But this text is not actually saying that, although it probably includes that. Uh, what this verse is saying is so much more. And the reason we had you read it in the, uh, in the King James is because uh, the, the words there are more representative of what you see in the Hebrew. Uh, and when you read it in the NIV, for example, I'll read it just so that we have it as a, as a mark. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And while that kind of captures the heart of what we're going to talk about, about misusing the Lord's name, uh, it doesn't really encapsulate again, what the Hebrew says, the verb there for take up. Um, we're going to get into that in a minute. But our first point that we want to look at is the name of the Lord. Um, what is the name of the Lord and why does the name of the Lord matter? Go ahead. No, I just kind of just point, point out in that matter is that when you, get, when you look in your Bible, when you read your Bible, you see that word Lord and it's all the letters are capitalized. When they do that, when they do that is to honor the old tradition of not using the God's name. Because because of the of this of this actual commandment, the the holy name of 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 God is the, the mm. word that Moses was was taught. Right. Right. So anytime we see Lord, what they're trying to say is um, Y H W H, and I'm not going to pronounce it. People pronounce it Yahweh or Jehovah or. Many other ways, but we actually do not know. The original pronunciation has actually been lost. Probably the closest that we can get is Yahweh. But when you read, do not take the Lord's name in vain, it actually says, do not take Yahweh's name Mm -hmm. in vain. Lord is just a title. So it doesn't mean that you can't say the name of God. It doesn't mean what they're saying is, is the actual God made himself personal. Unlike the gods that they would may have known in Egypt, unlike the other gods of other religions, he made himself personally known in a very real way uh, by sharing his name with his people. And so they were not to use that lightly. They were not to misrepresent his name. And his name was Yahweh, and he revealed that to him. So when we look at Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse 13 and 14, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Another way of saying this is I will be who I will be, or I will call into existence what I will call into existence. So it's not only defining him, it's defining what he does So it's not only defining his character, but it's defining that he is the creator of the universe. 
And he says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And again, that word there is Yahweh. So he, his name is definitive of, it's not just a name like Susie or Bob or Joe. His name has a meaning and his name, again, encapsulates not only his character, but defines his, his almighty and sovereign power as the God who created all things. So he says, I am who I am. This is who you are, what you are to say to the Israelites. Yahweh has sent me to you. Uh, and then I want to take you to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, uh, verse 2. 2 through 7. Uh, God reaffirms this and he says, it says, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. And you'll notice in your Bibles, the Lord is all caps. So again, every time you see the Lord in all caps, the word there is actually Yahweh. So he says, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them and gave them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant, the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, and just, just really quick on that point, I love how he points out that he made the covenant with the forefathers, but they still didn't know his name. That it was, they didn't have that connection that now the Israelites do. Like so what we see is that God is continually revealing himself through scripture, that where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob may have known that there was one God and that he was God Almighty, he had not yet revealed his name and his character. And as we see the story of scripture unfold, God is continually revealing himself on a deeper and deeper level all the way, of course, until you get to the climax of that when you see the word become flesh in mm -hmm. Jesus, mm -hmm. the ultimate revelation of the image of God and of God's character. And, and Jesus says time and time again, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have known me, you have known the Father. So Jesus is the ultimate revelation of the character and identity of God, which we'll, we'll get into that when it comes to mm -hmm. his name. Yeah. Uh, but to finish the verse 6 and 7, it says, uh, again, I'm in Exodus chapter 5, 6 and 7. Chapter 6. I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So again, as my husband shared... God does the delivering and the salvation first and the redeeming first. And he, his covenant begins with him. It doesn't begin with the people. It has nothing to do with how good they are. It has nothing to do with them. They didn't have to obey the commandments first in order for him to accept them. They are enslaved. They are beyond hope. They are lost. They're in a pagan land, probably worshiping pagan gods. And God draws them out to make them his people, a people that are called by his name. So his name has, his name is Yahweh and his name has power. His name defines who he is in the same way that when you get to know someone, you're introduced and you get to know their name on a deeper level. God is like, let me, let me start off this relationship because God is a God of relationship. He's not looking for people who just bow down mindlessly and are robotic worshipers. He wants us to be his people for him to be our God. He wants to dwell among us. And he's closing that gap between being God Almighty to being a God who dwells among us and, and has a relationship with us. Um, yes. The King James Version says Jehovah. So the word in, Jehovah in comes three. from the word Jehovah comes from the Yod, the Yod Hey Vav Hey, which is Hebrew letters. The original Hebrew did not have vowels; it only had consonants. And so what happened is over time. They put in consonants to try to figure out how the name was pronounced because the name Yahweh is pronounced over 7,000 times in the Old Testament. It is written 7,000 times in the Old Testament, but there is no, there are no vowels and the vowels were put in after. And so if you take the yod heh vav -Hey, one of the ways they've translated it is they've taken, so Adonai means Lord mm -hmm. and it's a title, but it's not God's name. And they took the vowels from Adonai and they put them into Jehovah. 
And they made up the name. So Jehovah is actually a made-up way of trying to figure out how to pronounce God's name. But that's not actually God's real name. We've actually lost over time. Uh, and possibly because of a misinterpretation of this third commandment. The Jewish people thought that God's name was so sacred and holy that when they wrote the Tetragrammon, which is the yod heh vav they would actually break their pen and they would do some really dramatic things every time they wrote and they would have to start the scroll with a new pen. And it became so legalistic that you can't even say the name of God. You cannot say, you can't speak it. And so it's become so secretive. In fact, just kind of an interesting fact, um, when, when Christians started to try to translate the Old Testament into Greek and new languages, uh, they had to go to Hebrew Jewish people to figure out how, because they didn't know Hebrew. And the Hebrew translators were so secretive and so protective about the name of Yahweh that they told them, you need to just put Lord. Wherever you see the name of Yahweh, you put Lord. So that's why our scriptures just say, you know, the Lord over and over and over again. But everywhere where you see, so there's Lord, like the title, just when it's L-O-R-D and the O-R-D is small, it's just the title. But when you see it all caps, it's actually the name of God. In verse 7, it says, Lord, Lord, your God. And is it all caps? The Lord is all caps. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Yahweh, your God. The Lord, Mm -hmm. your God. So he changes it from Jehovah. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Wow. So again, it could be, it it is partly due, I believe, to a misinterpretation of this third commandment of taking it and making it very narrow and saying that we're not allowed to say the name of God, that God's name is so sacred and so holy that we have to keep it like a secret. Uh, and, And that was not God's intention. He through the Holy Spirit, revealed the scriptures, and his name is used, like I said, 7,000 times in the Old Testament. So he didn't, it's not like he doesn't want us to say his name, or but his name should be lifted up rather than profaned. So getting into our, so the first part we just wanted to help everyone understand is what name are we talking about? Are we talking about not saying, you know, Jesus Christ in a profane way? Are we saying that you're not supposed to use the name of God in a curse word? And it's really not. It's about using the name of the Lord because he's revealed himself in a personal way and not to take that lightly, but to see that he, it's an honor and it's a privilege to be able to know God on such a personal level. Yeah, it's just one of those things when they're like, I'm Coach K, but my friends call me Max. It's, it's just it's the on a very very small small state, but it's it's one of those things like your forefathers known me as El Shaddai and Elohim, but you can call me Yahweh, and it's it's this very personal personal point that God is bringing when He says, and we'll get into into it, but He previously says He's like, "You will be my people, and I'll be your God, and you will be my people." There's this, such a wonderful connection. He's like, out of all the people that are on the earth that I created in my image, I'm choosing you, and you get to call me by my name. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing that we're going to see from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament where Jesus, the, the teachings of Jesus, and again, we'll, get, we'll get into it. But What's the original uh, Hebrew of I am? It's a yeah is what it would be it's it's like e y h a h i don't know like, if i spelled it correctly I but i like it's, that name for him just you know i am mean? right yeah. but he says not only i am but he's a god of the past the present and the future yeah. so that's yeah. why he uses yahweh because it's not only i am it's i, was, I will be who i, I will be, be. I, it, yeah. it's all it's all the tenses it's i, I have been who i have been mm-hmm. i am who i am and i will be who i will be it's it's actually outside of time which is why the name is so special mm-hmm. and so holy yeah so the the next the next part of this that we want to take is that's the the kind of the key and the meat of this is the reason we asked you to read it in in the king james version is that it says take my name so that word, right? It says take. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it says take. So in the original Hebrew where it says yes. take, take, take it's the word nasa, which is, is really good. I think that's where nasa came from, right? The, because nasa, no, take no. up, take up the rockets. No. It means to lift up or to bear or to, or to carry. carry. You know, yeah. 
So yeah. it's so that that's why it's it's it was really important because I, when I was preparing for this, I was like, man, I really want to share this to truly understand what this word is about because I feel like there's so much more than just uh, the words that you're just using. You know, there's so much mm-hmm. about when I say take up. Like as soon as for me as a Christian, I, I remind I'm reminded take up your cross mm-hmm. daily if you want to be my. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciples, you're going to take up your cross. So to me, it's like, it's that take up. So when he's saying, do not take my name, it's like, where is he going with that? Yeah. Right? You want to this or you want me to? You got it. Okay. So we wanted to help kind of highlight where this comes from. So this word, nasa, appears in Exodus chapter 28, verse 29. And this is going to be a really big key here. Nasa, N-A-S-S-A. I think there might be an H, but I'm not sure. But if it is, the H is silent. 28, what? Uh, Exodus chapter 28, verse 29. And it says, Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will nasa the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continual memorial to the Lord. And then it goes on to say... Uh, here uh, in verse 36 it says make a pure a plate of pure gold and engrave it as on a seal holy to the lord or chodesh la yahweh again because the the word lord there is yahweh Mm -hmm. so he he not only bears the name of israel when he goes into god's presence the priest was a representative of the people to God and a representative of God to the people. And so he wears the names of the tribes of Israel. He bears up the names and he carries them around on his chest to represent the people of Israel. And then he also wears on his head, holy to the Lord. Um, So he's bearing the name of Yahweh. Like I said, not only to represent when he goes into the Lord, he represents that the people are sacred but he also represents that Yahweh is sacred when he goes out among the people. So this word nasa has to do with bearing up and taking on the name. And this is why it's important. If you go to Exodus chapter 19, again, we're giving a lot of scriptures. I know we do that, but hopefully you can follow. Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt. How I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So, this is important because Aaron represented what he was wearing actually as a visual representation of how God saw all the people as a nation, they were all wearing this seal that said holy to the Lord. Mm -hmm. They were sealed with the fact that they were meant to be, they were carrying the name of Yahweh and they were meant to be a holy people, a priesthood to the rest of the earth. So the same way that Aaron functioned as a priest to Israel, Israel was meant to be a priesthood and a representative of God to all nations. You guys following that? Does that make sense? Yeah. So so it's kind of to simplify it in in our days is where, and not put too much power into that. Like when we, when God selects pastors to to lead, He's supposed to live that life of a reproach. So we should, and then He has His congregation that look to Him to be like, all right, this is what it should look like. So now, and then we, as the body of Christ, go out into the into our neighborhood and live out that life. So it's it was kind of the same way, only on the worldwide kind of, kind of. Scale, yeah. So that's why it's it's kind of important, but that that's why it was it was very confusing. If they were all, if we're all nation of priests, why do we have? Why do they have another priest? But he was so set apart as holy as you guys can. When we when you read about all the steps mm-hmm. that Aaron had to take and how he had to live and the the higher standard that he had and his children who were also were called to be priests. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a couple of days later. His children's it was their first day on the job. First day on the job, his children screwed up and they died because they didn't they didn't mm. 
keep that holiness like they're supposed to be. They approached God any old way and they suffered for it. Yeah. So God God, was like, I'm serious about this. About this holiness. So that way Mm -hmm. the people of Israel, they look to him as like, man, that's the high level. And the the problem is, is sometimes we like to separate. They're like, well, that's the priest. I'm just a person. I'm let them do the holy things and I'm just going to do my own thing. But God calls us to be the nation of priests, mm-hmm. of priesthood. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's kind of very important part of that is that we are that seal. We are there to share who God is. We are His image. We are His bearers, and that's I think that's an important thing. Uh, that's another thing that she kind of talked about. There's a difference between being uh, an image of God, which we all are. We're created in the image of God, and then bearers of His image. Mm-hmm. Bears of his name. Bears of his name. That that's a huge, huge deal. Because again, we're all created in his image, but only a few of us bear his his name and supposed to share that of who he really is. And remember that the commandments are actually God wrote them on tablets. They were actually a covenant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people think that it was written. Uh, that there were like five commandments on one and five commandments on the other tablet. What it actually was, was that a treaty was when a treaty was made back in that time, you would write all of the, all of the codes of the covenant, all of the terms of the covenant, like a contract. And much like today, whenever you have a contract, you have a duplicate of it. So each tablet would have had this covenant on it. And one was meant to be kept in the presence of the, of each party that was in the covenant, but both tablets were kept in the tabernacle because that's where God's presence was and that's where his people were. But the more important part is, is that this is a covenant. And so when you, when you make a covenant, like a marriage covenant, one of the things that, that happens when you go into a marriage covenant is that the wife takes on the name of the husband and you, you form a new family. And so when God takes Israel as his own, he puts his name on them in much the same way that the, like we said, in a ritual, in a ceremony of marriage, that the spouse takes on the name of the husband. And I know in today's day and age, sometimes we keep our name or the husband takes on the wife's name and we we do all kinds of things. But the way it was traditionally, we can have an understanding of what God is doing and what he's representing here. So there are four places that we see in scripture that God puts his name. And the first we've already talked about, which is that God put his name on the people of Israel. Uh, in, did you want to read Numbers? Yeah, I want to read Numbers just because um, right before, but we won't say it, I want to start in 22 because I think I, I, love, I love this passage. Because uh, Numbers 6, verse 22 through 26 is the, is the benediction that we have heard in different churches. Uh, some churches close with it or, or any other times. And I think it's such an important thing is, is that... Uh, 6.22. In Numbers, it's, it's so important because here we have, again, word for word direction of how to bless the people. <laughs> you know, so, so I love it. So I just want to read it. It's not part of, of our point, but I think it's so beautiful. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Let the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And verse 27, so they will put my name on Israelites and I will bless them. So here he's putting his name on the people of Israel. He's sealing them with, with his name, with who he is through this, through this blessing. So the first one we see is that God puts his name on the people of Israel. The second and third actually place uh, where he puts his name. Uh, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 21, uh, there's verse 7 is the only one we're going to look at. There's other places, but we just want to give this as an example. So 2 Kings chapter 21 verse 7, uh, where actually Manasseh, who was a wicked king, defiles the temple. And it says he took the carved Asherah pole, which was a a pagan symbol he had made, and he put it in the temple of which the Lord, which again is Yahweh, of which Yahweh had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. 
So he not only puts his name on the people, but he puts his name in Jerusalem. And you see where there's kind of this narrowing down. He puts his name on the nation. He puts his name on the city of Jerusalem. And then he specifically puts his name on the temple because that's where his presence was found. It was in the temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have that verse just to read really quickly. In First Kings 8.20, it says, The Lord has kept the promises he made. I succeeded David, my father. This is how I'm speaking. And now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as uh, Yahweh promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. So again, that temple, again, bears that name of the Lord, Yahweh. Name of the Yahweh, if we read it that way. So again, he puts his name on the Israel. He puts his name in Jerusalem as a selective city. He puts his name in the temple. So he's kind of he's coming from from big to small, right? He's he's kind of coming down, and um, you know you find him. Yeah. So here's here's the amazing part where we start to get something really profound. Uh, if you go to Amos, I know this is not a, ch- a book that much of us spend a whole lot of time in. Amos <laughs> chapter nine. It it's towards the end of the Old Testament. <laughs> It's kind of mixed in with a bunch of lesser prophets. It's before Habakkuk, I believe. But in Amos, yeah, after Joel, before Jonah. So Amos chapter 9, I'll just read it briefly. It says, in Amos chapter 9, verse 12... It says, so that they may possess a remnant of Edom, which was a pagan land, pagan nation. It says, and all the nations that bear my name declares Yahweh who will do these things. And the word there for nations is actually Gentiles. So he says he makes a promise that Israel will be restored because of the Gentiles who will bear God's name. So it's a prophetic telling of the fact that God is going to put his name on non-Jewish believers, on people of all nations, that people all around the world will be given his name, and that through that, the nation of Israel will actually be restored to their original glory. Like that, that's a really big, like to me, that was a very big thing. I was like, that promise in Amos gives the promise to the church, that the church will happen, that it's not just going to be just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. The, the, it's who we are. Because of the promise of Amos, we can all sit here together and have faith in Christ. Because this promise in Amos says that Gentiles will have the name of the Lord on them. That Yahweh is going to be in their life. And we have those seals. We do have the seal through the Holy Spirit promising those things. So this is it's as funny as as we don't really read Amos and don't really think about Amos, or I've never had a Bible study on Amos, I'll tell you that right now in twenty five past 25 years. But this is a huge verse for us as believers who are not, who are, not, who are Gentiles, which mm-hmm. most of us are. So it's, 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 we, we need to honor that verse and honor that, that promise and not just go away because I love where, you know, in Acts, and I just want to jump into that really quick because it's connected. In Acts, when Peter goes and he, in Acts chapter 15, he, he comes back and says, hey, I was, I, was, I was teaching these Gentiles and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they're like, that's not right. Mm. What do you mean? The Gentiles, they, they can't have what we have. And then he, right here in, in verse 15, uh, 13, 15, Verse 13 says, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concerns by taking from the Gentiles people for himself, right? So we were, I guess we were all Gentiles. Then he became the, the nation of Israel. And then the words of the prophet are in agreement with this, as it is written in the prophet he's quoting, Amos, which Trish just read. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. It ruins, I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. So 
James, with his through God's wisdom, remembers Amos's promise and says, "Yes, no, this is right. What's happening? What Paul, what Peter just told us about what happened with Gentiles getting the Holy Spirit. This has been promised in the age of Amos. Like this is such a huge thing of us finally being able to bear the name of the Lord who are not Jews. Like that's a huge promise to us, and I love that James." In his wisdom, like, oh, wait. I remember this. <laughs> I remember this. I remember I wasn't this obscure through. verse in Amos. Yeah. Uh, but here's, here's where it gets, uh, again, understanding the weight of bearing God's name. When you bear God's name, you not only bear his, like, his name, like you could, you know, you wear it on your forehead or whatever. The, the bearing the name meant that his presence was among you. Again, that's why he not only says that he's called out Israel, but he's put his name on Jerusalem and then the temple itself because his presence was there. The way that he ver like the way that he ratified that his name was there was because the presence of the Lord, remember when they were in the wilderness, the presence of the Lord was in a pillar of cloud and in the fire. And eventually when the temple is dedicated, God burns with and his presence dwells over the temple and that's how they knew that God was among them. Well, in the new covenant, where is the temple? Who's the temple? We are the temple. And his presence dwells among us. And so just to confirm this, this illustration in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 13, it says, And also were you included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we are marked. And the way that we know we have God's name, the way that we know that his presence is with us is because we have the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us, speaking to us, comforting us um, and guiding us into all truth. And we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that same imagery is you may not be able to see it. But you have God's name. You're bearing God's name wherever you go, meaning you're his ambassador. You're a representative of the Lord. And do you represent him well? Do you re represent him with a holy life? As scripture says that we should live such godly lives among the pagans that though they might try to blame you of wrong, that they would give praise to your God in heaven instead. So this is why bearing God's name is important. Um, and you actually see even in Revelation, this might kind of elude some, maybe bring some... Uh, some of you may have already made this connection, but in Revelation chapter 7, it talks about how God is about to bring his wrath and his destruction, and he calls out to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. He says, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And so that seal is a way of marking God's people so that they're passed over of the coming wrath. And that's why it's also so important. Again, this might have, you may have already made this connection. When we talk about the Antichrist and the end times and the mark of the beast and the mark is on their foreheads mm -hmm. or their hands. Mm -hmm. And this is showing that they, instead of bearing the name of the Lord, they're actually bearing the name of the Antichrist. They're bearing the name of Satan on their foreheads. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's such a grave offense because they actually have taken on and dedicated themselves completely to the hand of Satan. Those who okay. believe in Christ have already been sealed. But again, as the prophecy in Amos said, that Israel will have a restoration because of the Gentiles. Yeah. So as Christians, we've already been sealed. We have the Holy Spirit. It's different. But, it but there will the be Jews. a revival among the Jewish okay. people that they will come. And so then the 144,000 Jewish people, that remnant will be redeemed and will be sealed. Yeah. Does yeah. that make sense? I was, I no, I just... I was just trying to make sure I wasn't. Yeah. yeah. That's why I asked, wasn't it the Jews? Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, like, this this whole idea of, of being sealed and marked and everything else, it also talks about in Ezekiel. And uh, yeah. the this one, to, to me, I feel like it's, it's even harsh, not harsher, but in Ezekiel chapter, verse 9, it says, Then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen, who, who the writing kid, and his son, and his on his side and said to him, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. So it's the people who hold the, the, the name of the Lord high and sees all the sin in the world and they, they're not okay with that. And as I listened, he said to the others, follow him through the city 
and kill without showing pity or comparison or compassion. Slaughter men, young men, young men, and he goes through everything. But do not touch anyone who has the mark. And this is the hard one. Begin at my sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. begin with the elders who were in front of the temple. Mm-hmm. The elders. So it's it's one of those things where he's reminded that the, just because you go to church, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that the, that you are you have that seal that you're bearing the name of the Lord. Jesus talks about it plainly. Yes. They're going to say, Lord, Lord, but I oh, never knew you. you. This, this, is, this is what this is talking about. This is what he's talking about, bearing his name, bearing the name of Yahweh. Don't use it in vain. Don't just say, I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord. He knows my heart because he does know your heart mm-hmm. for your heart is deceitful. <laughs> so it's just one of those things that he's like, you need to, when you say that you're a Christian, that you believe in Jesus Christ, that you have made him your Lord and Savior, that you are fully living that, that life. Over and over, from, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, uh, Jesus, Jesus quote, quotes the Old Testament when he says, he, they honor me with my lips, but their hearts are far from me. Mm-hmm. So there's many people who are... Who so are also in Matthew 15. Yeah, so, but he's, he's quoting the Old Testament in right. Matthew 15. What, what he is says, this? this is Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 and 9. It says, uh, well, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, which is our last point, is what does it mean to, we know that we bear the name of the Lord, but what does it mean to do so in vain? And it says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Mm-hmm. So this kind of starts to allude to what does it mean to take the Lord, to bear the Lord's name, but to do so in vain. Um, and the word there for vain means empty or useless. Mm-hmm. And that's why the NIV talks about not to misuse the name of the Lord, because the kind of the heart of what they're saying here is that you're taking God's name and you're using it in a way that dishonors him. So how do we use God's name in vain? And there's, there's three primary ways that we can, we use the name of the Lord in vain. The first one we already kind of alluded to is uh, the fact that we trivialize God's name, that we make it something less than the holiness that it is. And if you go to Hebrews, I'm going to take a minute to get there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 29, verse 29, it says, uh, it's actually 28 and 29. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29 says, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Mm. So taking the name that God has revealed in Jesus Christ and trampling it underfoot, treating it as a worthless thing, um, that the salvation and the grace that we have in Christ by rejecting that grace and that salvation, how much more judgment will we face than even if we had rejected the law of Moses? Mm-hmm. So taking God's name and making it trivial, which as we said, also includes using God's name in a curse word or whatever. But as you guys are seeing, that's just like one small piece of what it means to not take the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second way uh, is that we misrepresent him. Yeah, and... It's one of those, God spoke to me, and thus says the Lord. God it, it better be, mm-hmm. God better really speak to you, and this better come true. And uh, through the prophets, you see this a lot, especially Jeremiah. I, I was just reading the Jeremiah, and I can't find the ex- exact examples. But there were so many times where Jeremiah's like, these prophets are speaking, and God says, like, I did not send them. And they're all talking about like, oh, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. And Jeremiah's like, no, the Babylonians are coming and they're going to kill us. And they're like, yeah. and the other one's like, no, it'll be okay. I love, I, I love the, the story of um, the prophet Micah when um, the king calls him and, he, and he, he's like, and the other prophet's like, hey, can you just tell him that we're going to win? And he's like, okay. So the, 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 king, the king's like, hey, what do you have for me? Oh, you should go fight and win. He's like, Micah, tell me the truth. You're going to die. Like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't lie. You're going to die. 
This is what the Lord says. It's like he gets upset about it, right? But there's all these prophets in the Old Testament that are speaking without God speaking to them. And that and that's where we really need to check ourselves and, and make sure that we do not misrepresent who God is. God told includes... me that we should date. <laughs> Did he really? Oh, well, I mean, gosh. we're married, but... <laughs> you know, it's, it's Hopefully little... that was God's will. <laughs> it's a little late now, 25 years later. <laughs> but, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's like people just like throw God's name and, and, and use him as like cosign. Like, that's what it is. Like, this is how I feel. And I'm just going to throw God in there and pepper, pepper in. And then, then it's going to be okay. Right. But unless... That's a heavy less. If if God speaks to me and I come to you guys like God spoke to me, you guys gonna see dark eyes because I haven't slept since that happened. Tears flowing, haven't eaten. If God spoke to me, it's not gonna be like let me tell you what God did because I'm pretty sure if God speaks to me, it's gonna be heavy and I'm gonna be a mess. It's not gonna be like hey God God spoke to me that we should buy a new car for me. Sorry. And so misrepresenting him, we could probably think of a lot of examples. This involves false teaching. This involves false prophecy. So people who are claiming to be prophets who speak on the name of the Lord, and they're just speaking out of their own thing. I know Cynthia's in this place right now. But it's also false teaching. People who talk about health and prosperity and the wealth, you know, health and wealth gospel and all of these things. Um, there's so many things where they're saying, you know, they're saying peace, peace. And God is like, no, I'm bringing judgment. And, and mm-hmm. we're not properly preparing God's people for the things that are to come. Yes. And so, you know, one of the things, as small as we may be as a church, is that we want to rightly divide the word of truth. And we want to make sure that we are preparing you with the whole gospel, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. You know, the gospel is good news for those who are being saved. But for those who are perishing, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 the message of life and death. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to compromise that and misrepresent when when this right here, scripture, is the authoritative word of God. So whatever we would say, we don't want to misrepresent God. So we always have to check whatever we're saying. That's why we use scriptures. That's why we encourage you to follow along in your Bibles and to take notes so that you can check later whatever we're teaching and make sure that it really is biblical and that we're not just speaking out of our own opinion. Yeah, and, the, and just misrepresentation is just really like false flagging like for us for for my community the motorcycle community you see it all the time where you know people walking around with big crosses on on their necks or they have a a verse on their on their patch but you see the life that they're living you're like oh you're oh i'm a christian i go to church i'm like you are very deeply misrepresenting who god is the holy and righteous god there there's motorcycle ministries out there that I personally have seen and known who have the they bear the cross on their back but their lives are so far from it just even that kind of misrepresentation and it's a little one of people wearing the cross or wearing a Christian apparel you know blessed by the best and all that other stuff but their lives are so much different they're the ones who are, who are who's yelling at the Starbucks about about something that they they got somebody got their order wrong and I was like where's your self control where's your your peace where's your humility you know it's it's one of the it's that one of those represents God well exactly but but it's it's just even little things like that where we to the world and out out on the outside we show that we're Christians like you know I have the school Christian biker unity shirt on me but if I go out there and and get drunk with the other bikers and then we go to a strip club that that's not aligning to what the holy god calls me to be but what god is warning about are these these things that are you're building your life in a direction that actually which is the third the third way we uh, use god's name in vain is that we profane his name. And so through scripture, he talks about injustice, that we treat and we oppress others, um, that there's bloodshed, that there's, these are the ways that Israel profane God's name. And in Ezekiel 36, it says uh, in verse 20, uh, starting in verse 20, Mm Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 20, it says, And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. So instead of lifting God's name up, instead of being a light to all the world, they profaned God's holy name. For it was said to them, said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land, meaning the place where he put his name. 
Um, I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord, which is Yahweh, says, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned. He keeps saying the same, has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. And this is where he goes on to talk about, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. Um, and you will be careful to follow my decrees and keep my commands. So again, this is the promise of the new covenant that Israel time and time again was stiff necked. They misrepresented God. They worshiped other gods. They profane instead of being a light to the world and to the Gentiles, they instead became a laughing stock. And that's what we don't want to do as the church. Uh, because as we now are his name bearers, as we are now the ones that represent him, we don't want to become a laughing stock to the world where we are just like the world, if not worse, where there's scandals and abuse and oppression, um, where we're misrepresenting God and we're making other idols pursuing the wealth and fame and things of this world. Um, but we, our priority should be those things of God and those things of heaven. Yeah. So the, one of the ways just to kind of so what, so what do we do? How do we honor God's God's name in many ways? And I, I want to first just you look he looked to Christ. How did he honor God? And he, he said uh, in John chapter five, uh, and I'll just paraphrase. He says, "I only do what I see the Father's doing." He looks to God, and that's his actions. It's kind of hard for us to look to God though that connection <laughs> that Jesus had with God, but we can do what Paul said: "Follow me as I follow Christ." Right, so now we look to Christ of how He lived His life, and we can do the same thing. So that way, we do the the things that God wants us to do to honor Him and to keep Him holy, right? And then hopefully, there's people around us that are like, man, how do I live this Christian life? I don't know too much, but man, I have seen the joy that that is in in her life and the joy in His life and the patience and self control, and we we start being those image bearers and name bearers so that people can look to and that's how we make that 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 spread of who god really is i love that i was talking to trisha i was, I was kind of being uh, was a little frustrated about it and everything else it's like with what we talked about last week about the images of god there was a reason for it he's like i don't want you to be identified just by a cross or by a mm -hmm. star of david or by anything else i want you to be identified by your character I want, I want people to know that you're men and women of God just because of your character of having love, joy, and peace, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, mm -hmm. and self-control. And then when people see that, they're like, that's a man of God. That's a woman of God. It's not the clothes that you're wearing or the symbol that you have. Mm -hmm. you know. And, and that's, but it'd be so much easier to be like, here's a t-shirt. I'm with him. But it's the character. That's what he wants from us. It's, it's that understanding. And always remember you know, um, in Second Corinthians 5.20. Um, where's 5? There it is. 5.20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on the Christ behalf, be reconciled. To God, so it's like we're the ambassadors. We're the ones who are representing out there. That's what we do, and that's how we bear that that image of who He is. And uh, just to kind of finish up um, the teachings for for today with First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, it says, "Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain." When we do the things that God calls us to do, that's not going to be in vain. We would not take out the name of the Lord in vain. Amen. 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 Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.